Hey, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the Christmas story. Uh, I'll just be honest, as a first-time senior pastor at Christmas, this feels a little overwhelming, right? You have heard more Christmas sermons than you have heard any other kind of sermons, right? And so uh, it feels a little daunting to preach Christmas Eve and then preach tomorrow morning uh, uh, on the most known story and maybe the most unknown story. But here we are. Um, Somebody's got to do it, right? All right. Uh, The Litton Girls read from Luke 1. the backstory a little bit of what leads us up to this night. It leads us up to the birth of Christ. Mary is a young girl. The scripture calls her a virgin, and she's a virgin in two cents. She's both young, and that's what it means, but it also means she's never been with a man. And so when it comes, the news comes to her uh, in this no-name place where she's at, called Nazareth, in this uh, to this no-name girl, Mary, this little teenage girl. She is the Litton girls, right? She is a teenager. And this news comes to her from God through the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel comes to her, and I love the version that y'all read, because it said, uh, what, what does your say? I can't remember, but it used the word grace. Mine in the ESV says, Mary, you are highly favored. And that's what, that's what the word means. Mary is given grace. And what does that mean? She doesn't deserve this. Mary's not something special, but God comes to her with this news. And what is the news? She's going to bear a son. And that doesn't seem like that great of news, except maybe in their day a little bit, because they didn't have ultrasound, and they didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl. So maybe Mary had a little bit of planning. Uh, maybe that was helpful to her. Um, but the news that she's going to bear a son is very uh, meaningful if you know your Bible, right? Because this is what they had waited for since Genesis 3, that there would be a son born of woman who would come and crush the serpent's head. So when, when, when the angel comes to Mary and says, you will bear a son, he's saying so much more than just, hey, here's the gender of your child. And the, the angel gives Mary this uh, sign. To, so she'll believe the news, right? She says, no, your cousin Elizabeth, who everybody thinks can't have a child, she is pregnant and you'll be able to see it, right? And you don't deserve this either and neither do you and I deserve to be sons and daughters of the king. We all come to God based on what? Grace, favor, undeserved. It's not because we're something, it's because God wants to do something here. And so how does Mary respond? She has a little bit of doubt, as you can imagine, right? She doesn't understand. How can this be? Right? And she's not asking out of doubt. She's asking out of, I don't understand. I don't see how this could be possible. But in the end, what does she decide to do? She decides to believe that God's word is true and that with God all things are possible. She believes in his promise. I want to read and continue the story. Luke chapter 1. I think it will be on the screen. Uh, starting in verse 39. Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Mary goes to visit her cousin. I think in some ways she's wondering, is this really true? And the angel had told her, hey, Elizabeth's pregnant. If you really want to believe this, go see it for yourself. And so she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with the baby John the Baptist, way before he's ever baptized anybody. But he's John. And what happens when she shows up? This baby in the womb recognizes uh, the, the, the messiahship. I don't know what the word is, but it knows. It knows that something is in that, that belly over there. And the baby leaps for joy. And, Mary, and Elizabeth is overcome. It says that she is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she declares this blessing. Now, if you read the blessing, it's really interesting. Because what she really praises her for is her belief. She praises her her, for her belief. At the end, in verse 45, it says, And blessed is he, she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary had no reason to believe this, but blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment. Israel had no reason to believe that God was going to come through. It had been thousands of years. They had no reason to believe. But blessed are those who do believe. And in our day, it's no different. People say, oh, Christ is not coming again. Oh, there's no point to this life. No, blessed are those who believe. Who believe that Christ will come. Who believe that he will come again. And that he will redeem us. Elizabeth praises Mary for her belief. I think Elizabeth is also thinking about her husband. I don't know if you remember this. But Zechariah had been told, hey, you're going to have a baby. And what did Zechariah do? He did not believe. And Zechariah had missed out on all the joy of that nine months of pregnancy, right? He's mute. He can't talk. And I think Elizabeth, as she says this blessing over Mary, is going, I'm so glad you believe because my stinking husband didn't even believe, right? She is overcome. And she is rejoicing, just as John the baby is rejoicing. And the next thing that's recorded is Mary rejoicing. Let's look at it in verse 46. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I don't know if you know this, but in your Bible, if if things are indented weird, it's probably poetry, right? It doesn't rhyme in English because it was written in a different language, but this is poetry. She's singing. She's rejoicing. She is writing a song, and if you were here a couple weeks ago, I talked about when when do we write songs and how I used to write songs for Maddie out of you know, when I was trying to marry her, and I, do I write her songs anymore? Well, sadly, no. But Mary, in this moment, rejoices. She's singing praises to who? 
to God. Mary is responding in joy because of God's grace, because of favor, right? She's not anybody. She's a lowly teenager in backwoods, northern Galilee, who doesn't have any standing anywhere. And God has looked on her. See, she's been given such grace, and it overflows in worship. That's what worship is. Worship is simply an overflow of our heart. Worship is simply an overflow of our heart. If we take a cup and we fill it with, with Sprite Zero, because that's what my kids have been drinking today. Sprite Zero. What's going to overflow out of the cup, Hudson? Sprite Zero, right? If we take it and we fill it with grape juice, what's it going to overflow with? Grape juice, right? And if we take a heart and we fill it with God and His grace, what's it going to overflow in? Worship, right? Our hearts, worship is simply an overflow of our hearts. And so you want to know what you love. You want to know what you care about. You want to know, right? Look at your words. Look at the things you praise. Look at, and that tells you what you filled your mind with. And that tells you what's overflowing out. Worship is an overflow of our heart. And I love this passage here because Mary's praise and worship of God is all God-centered, right? This is not like, wow, look how awesome I am, God. I'm, you know, this is not about feelings. This is not about uh, her at all. Her worship is about God. Look what he has done. He has done mighty things. His mercy. He's shown strength. He has done this. He has filled. He has helped, right? This is all about God. Her heart has been so moved by God's favor and his grace in her life that it's overflowed in worship. And before you go, okay, that's great. We are all worshipers. We're all worshiping something. And it's maybe no more evident than a time of year like this, what people worship, right? Maybe experiences, maybe material things, maybe family, maybe certain people. It may be, I don't know. We worship all kinds of things. In, in, in the Bible, when we worship things that are not intended to be worshipped, the Bible calls those idols, right? Things that we were not intended to worship, whether it's family, whether it's money, whether it's success. My kids are having a hard time here. Ellie's so excited for Christmas. <laughs> we are called to worship but we're not called to worship all these other things. We're called to worship God himself. And we're called to be so filled and moved by God's grace that he would come to us, that he would call us favored, that he would call us loved and, and worthy and forgiven and justified and all the things that God does for us in Christ. That is such grace. And it's this time of year for us as Christians, that's meant to move us to what? To worship, right? That doesn't mean, like, sometimes Christmas songs are not the easiest to sing. They're not the easiest to worship. That, that's not the point. It's not about three songs on a stage. No, worship is about what we love, what we talk about, what we care about, what we spend our time and our mind thinking about. Now, here's the truth. We can all think of a lot of reasons not to worship this time of year. We got a lot of reasons not to rejoice. We got a lot of excuses, a lot of things going on in our life. A lot of circumstances that have happened to us. There's a lot of uh, 
those sorts of things. Here's a list. Sometimes it's the loss of a loved one. Recently, a long time ago, Christmas isn't quite the same. Doesn't have quite the same feel. And our circumstances maybe aren't as great as we would like them to be. Sometimes it's family tragedy or breakup. Sometimes it's a loss of income, the means to provide. Sometimes it's like you can't get together, inability to see family, inability to do what you want to do. Maybe things have changed. Maybe things aren't like they used to be. Maybe you're not getting to be with certain people this year. We got a lot of reasons why it'd be easy to go, you know what, I'm not rejoicing. I'm not being filled with joy. I'm not worshiping God because, because my circumstances don't fit. Because I got no reason to. We got a lot of excuses. And I'm not diminishing these things at all. I, I, those are real difficulties. But here's the point. There will always be reasons, real, logical, earthly reasons to doubt. Mary had real, logical, earthly reasons to doubt God's word. She had real, logical reasons to doubt that God would come through on his promise. Israel had real, logical reasons and lots of thousands of years of proof to say, I don't think the Messiah is coming. All of the earthly circumstances pointed to, uh, not so sure. And Zechariah hears that word and he misses out. He's mute. He misses out on all that experience. Mary hears that word and she chooses to believe. That no matter what's going on around me, no matter how good things are, how bad things are, how, how much we have, how little we have, how, how great things feel, how terrible things feel, she had reason to believe. She had reason to believe and she chose to believe and it led to joy and it led to worship in her life. And so I want to remind you tonight just a couple of reasons uh, why we have reason to be filled with joy and why that should uh, overflow in worship this time of the year. We're not, I'm almost done. And we're going to get out of here. We're going to sing a song and light some candles and you can take some pictures with your family and all that uh, and go and eat Mexican food, hopefully. Uh, I don't know. We have a lot of reasons to be filled with joy. We have a lot of reasons to be filled with joy. Number one, the Christ has come. It's literally what Christmas means. The Messiah is here. The long-awaited Messiah that was promised in Genesis 3, that was foretold of all throughout the New Testament, Old Testament, is here. He has come. He has made his way to this earth. He is God in flesh, and he's come to save us. He's come on a rescue mission. It's like all the great war movies. The, 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 the recovery team is in. They're here. They have eyes on the hostage. All, the, the Christ has come. And yeah, our circumstances may be bleak. They may be grim. They may be difficult. They may be hard right now. But we have reason to be filled with joy because God has forgiven us in Christ. He's looked on us in grace and he said, don't be afraid you are favored. God has done that for us in Christ. He's offered forgiveness and mercy to us. The Christ has come. Number two, we have reason to, believe, to be filled with joy because God has been faithful to fulfill his word. It, there were so many times they've got a doubt. As you're going through the Old Testament, you're thinking, really? We just got captured again? Really? Messiah, is it really ever going to happen? No, God has been faithful to his word. 
Everything he said would happen, happened. Everything that he has promised, he has fulfilled. God's word can be trusted. And we should be like Mary, in that we believe that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken by God. You can trust that God will be faithful to his word. I don't know about all the rest of it. I don't know about our nation. I don't know about anything else. I don't know about my fa- I don't know about your bank account. I don't know anything. But you can trust God's word. It is sure and it is true. And you have reason to be filled with joy this time of year because God is faithful. And lastly, reasons we had to be filled with joy is because we know that what's coming, the joy that we have forever with God is so much greater than any earthly happiness that we will ever experience. We believe that, that God's plan for us to be reunited with him forever will bring us so much more joy than any earthly circumstance, any trinket that you'll open tomorrow under the tree, any experience, any whatever. None of that will satisfy you. The only thing that will satisfy you is God himself. And there is joy that is immeasurable that is to come for those of us who are in Christ. So what is our response this this year? I think it's three things. Number one, believe. Number two, rejoice. And number three, worship. Number one, believe. Christmas is, is, is just a cultural thing if you don't believe in Christ. Yeah, it's fun. There's presents. There's traditions. There's family. There's tamales tonight for our family. Right? There's all this stuff, and it's good. But until you believe in Christ, this has no meaning whatsoever. But if we believe, we believe in Christ, you put your faith in him to save you, to rescue you, then this means so much more than trinkets and flowers and, and traditions. Doesn't, it, until you believe that with God all things are possible, until you believe that God is sending a Savior to die in our place and rescue us from our biggest problem of sin, until you believe none of that matters. The rest of it is it's a wash. We should respond this year. If you don't know Christ, you're just here because this is what your family does every year. I'm glad you're here. And put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in him. He, he, he came not so that we could have traditions. He came not so that we could open presents. No, he came to set you free from your sin. He came to forgive you. He came to die in your place. And that should cause the second thing, that we should rejoice. Just like Mary, as she has been shown grace, once we believe and have been shown grace, we rejoice. We are a joyful people. Not because our circumstances are necessarily better, but because God himself has said, you are favored. You are favored. And lastly, we're called to worship. We're called to worship. Doesn't necessarily look like three songs on a stage. It looks like spending time um, with your family. It could look like a thousand different ways. Worship is an overflow of our hearts. And so my hope tonight is that as we're filled and reminded of the good news that Jesus has come, he's come to save us, that our hearts will be filled and it would lead uh, to worship. Let me pray. God, I thank you for each one of these people, God. And I thank you for uh, just where you have them. God, I don't know all the circumstances. I don't know the difficulties. I don't know the the challenges and the the highs and the lows. 
I know some of them. God, and I pray this year that our joy, our satisfaction, our purpose would be found in something so much more than our circumstances, God. May our hearts and our minds be filled with grace. God, and may that overflow in worship this time of year, God. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.